Team Venture. Welcome to Go Team Venture. I am your host, Justin Blomquist, and with me always is my co-host, Vienna Beaton. This, of course, is the podcast where once a week we go through another episode of the recently canceled Venture Brothers animated series. I'm a fan of the series and have seen every episode back and forth, but Deanna is seeing each episode fresh and new as we go week to week. Uh, this week we are discussing the episode Assassin Nanny 911, which was written by Jackson Public. Deanna, could you please give us a TV guide? Here's what's happening this week on The Venture Brothers. I think I can. So in this episode, Brock has to go on some other government mission. And so while he's gone, he has asked, oh gosh, what's her name? Molotov cock tease mm-hmm. to <laughs> take his place while he's on his mission. And then the B plot is that... uh of the boys Hank falls in love with her and then of course Rusty is trying to get with her and uh, so that Hank gets jealous of his dad I'd say that's a nice nice roundup uh, the IMDB brief is very similar it says Molotov cocktees fills in at the Venture Compound as Brock goes on a mission to terminate a rogue agent. While Molotov tries to beat some masculinity into Dr. Venture and his sons, we learn something of Brock's past through flashbacks. Okay. We just yeah. we more so just are it's, seeing Brock getting trained. Yeah, what, just I was like, was any of that actually important? I don't know. I mean, I bet, yeah, I remember it, but... Yeah, but yeah uh, it's yeah. Yeah, a series of flashbacks, and we'll cover all of that as we go beat by beat. And right out of the gate, even just with the name of this episode, this episode is so chock-a-block full of references that I get. I don't know if there's always this many in every episode, but for my money, this one has more than any other. Oh, it's, it'll keep coming. Like There's going to be tons <laughs> of references for episodes coming up later, and you'll be like... I've had to look up stuff like, wait, who all was in any Warhol's thing? <laughs> oh, Yeah. I mean, even, ju- yeah, just with the name, Assassin Nanny 911, I remember that show very vividly, and I used to watch it sometimes, not religiously or anything like that. Mm. But that seems like one of those TV shows that is so irrelevant to, it was so completely irrelevant to culture <laughs> and sort of timeless that it's one of those things things that the fact that they named this episode like as a reference to that is like i hope that people rediscover in the future that nanny 911 was a show because just as like a, a little a little time capsule of of whatever year this came out in because it's like it it is not important nobody should remember it but because of this episode it is written down in in the halls of history mm-hmm. yeah i never really watched nanny 911 i remember when south park did a whole episode about like cartman's mom like not being able to control him because he was like those kids in those shows just troublesome mm-hmm. and how like she burned through like all the nanny shows and then got him mm-hmm. onto uh like the dog rescue sh- the dog whisperer <laughs> because he, yes, he behaved so much like I an animal him. they had to treat him like a dog <laughs> I remember that episode of South Park as well. Yeah, very good episode. I do love South Park. I loved uh, Dog Whisper. I loved Nanny Nine One One. They were, yeah, they were, they were good shows because they were actually like about helping people like solve these problems. But of course, I as a teenager, I don't need to know how to control children. So it was like I didn't learn anything from it but at the same time was that thing of like hey kids want to slow down and watch the train wreck because those shows were just about like children who were monsters and the parents who didn't know how to discipline their children so much so that these kids were toxic and it's just like yes uh parents you know that's not the kid's fault you somehow really fucked up in raising these kids yes it is absolutely always the parents fault um and yeah, for this for the contrast of those shows, it had to they had to really play up the monstrosity of these children. 
Yeah. But uh, again, of course, it is the fault of the parents. And which it's they, also which they made it, so they made it bigger than it probably was. Yeah. And they made that very clear in those shows that it wasn't like, oh, you have a terrible kid. It's like, that's not how kids work. Yeah. No. <laughs> you have a terrible parenting style. You're not a terrible parent. I don't know. If I ever have kids, I will go back and watch those though. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, you're you're a terrible parent. I'm not a parent, so I shouldn't be saying shit. Yeah, I mean, I was a nanny, but I he was not the he didn't need like any of that, so yeah, not helpful. My brother is a nanny, and he had to take over because the woman they had was terrible so much so that the oldest boy in this family was a true nightmare for my brother. The first like two years he was taking care of them, he was like two years oh it was, my it was gosh. like he, he won't eat without like getting bribed to eat like he won't mm-hmm. do he will eat certain things he won't do things unless you give him something first and he would like had like wear this kid down i'd be like no no one gets something for nothing like just fucking do it mm-hmm. <laughs> Oy, that's a long time to hold in there yeah but he eventually got this kid to behave a little bit better than he used to which is good good for him we should get to the episode let's do this episode <laughs> Man. It's a great one. Uh, so it opens up on the OSI headquarters, location unknown, and we'll discuss why in a second. It says 21 years ago, and I, so I'm presuming this is Brock at age 20 years old because we know he's about two years younger than Rusty because he was a freshman. Rusty was like a junior in college. Mm-hmm. He is entering the office of Colonel Hunter Gathers, which I, I <laughs> just this time to myself went, <laughs> Hunter Gatherer, why did I never hear that? <laughs> and Brock has just been assigned to a training under Hunter for a special agent in the OSI. And I just made a note that Colonel Gathers, of course, looks and acts just like Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. A note in the book that they particularly put him uh, after Johnny Depp's portrayal in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because they just thought he was such a wild, fun character. They're like, well, we want to make this kind of a Nick Fury character out of Marvel, but l- let's put a spin on it. And he's this crazy Hunter S. Thompson character too. So, Yeah, it took me a while to put my finger on who it was. But yeah, then... When they said his Hunter later, I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah, he's, he's always smoking a cigarette out of a cigarette holder, which is a true Hunter S. Thompson thing. Yeah, he's got like a, not always a bucket hat, but some sort of hat down low over his forehead and then those big glasses and then like an underbite. Mm-hmm, for sure. Big, pretty, Have you ever read like The Tree Moving Las Vegas or any of the Hunter S. Thompson stuff? No, I don't think that he is for me. I read the book way back when I think I was like 21 myself when I read it. Uh, the writing itself was really kind of cool and like descriptive and interesting. Um, but yeah, like some of his philosophies and just like you are intense, man. Like yeah. I, I don't know about all that, but he, he writes really well. So I'll at least give him that. I made a note here because it's a hard thing to see. At some point, Brock, as he's like been tackled and laying on his back, salutes Hunter and to dissuade him from ever saluting again hunter stabs him in the palm with his knife did you catch that yes i did yes <laughs> now, I, I put on here have you ever had your palm cut or stabbed because i have <laughs> oh my gosh no i've had almost no injuries and that's how i like it because i do not deal well with pain no uh this was uh, an accident that occurred when i was working landscaping uh we had gotten these plants we had to plant and they were really tight in their pots and so we couldn't just like smack them around and like pull them out like usual we had to mm-hmm. get scissors and like cut the pot off mm-hmm. and of course we're working on this driveway that like there's a driveway and then there's like two rock walls on either side that lead up to like gardens and we're planting mm-hmm. in these gardens but the rock walls were like good four feet and so we don't have to keep climbing down we had one pair of scissors so my coworker charlie and i are tossing <laughs> this pair of scissors back and forth across the driveway oh my god I made a point to toss near him. He threw it right at me. And of course, <laughs> rather than me dodging, I just defensively put my hand up to go, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I took the point oh. of the scissors right into my hand. Oh, and uh, it didn't like stab in, but it, like, it cut mm-hmm. like a chunk out of my palm. Uh, I just remember too, uh, my boss was a really kind of man's man. He was very much a Brock Sampson of his, of his own. Um, his name was Leaf, cool guy. Uh, but he always intimidated me because he was such a tough kind of like grizzled guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the first aid kit in our trailer and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm bleeding. Would you mind helping me uh, put this bandage on? It's hard to do it one handed. And he's like, oh, uh, yes, but try and keep the blood away from me. Could you? I was like, what? He's like, I, I can't stand the sight of blood. It makes me faint. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you, the big tough man, get scared of little blood. Goddamn. <laughs> yep. Yep. Happens to the best of us. Sure enough. But so we learn a whole bunch of facts from Hunter about Brock that he was born in Omaha, Nebraska to a single mm-hmm. mother. He is half Swedish, quarter Polish, and quarter Winnebago. 
Yes. I also made a note of that. Is this, it felt like the second reference to him being Native American. I was thinking that like in that (laughs) Sasquatch episode, maybe they also mentioned something about it. Yeah, like in the Sasquatch one, Hank wears like a little Indian headdress because Brock's going on like his yearly sabbatical, which I he oh, has, maybe that's I'm to assume is some kind of part of his Native American culture. And then oh. also uh, when Brock is in the joy can and he's fantasizing about killing a bunch of uh, ninjas and stuff as he's kind of like done fighting, he's like, oh, enough already. He's wearing it like Indian chief. Yes, garb and that's right. Well. So okay. this is like, like the third, I guess. Yeah, probably the third reference to his Native American heritage, which is cool. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Because especially back then, whenever this episode was on, there was not actual, very much actual representation. So I don't know how people feel about Patrick Warburton playing a cartoon character of a Native person. But I mean, it's so far mostly irrelevant. It's better than that episode of Save of the Bell where Zach Morris dresses like an Indian because he finds out he's like one fourteenth Cherokee. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. That, that was offensive, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they also mentioned that Brock lost his virginity at age fourteen. How the government knows that, who knows? Oh, uh, I missed that. And then they also mentioned that Brock has a brother, uh, but they in all the seasons of the show he's never come up. And I I didn't even remember this line. I was just like, oh, why did they never explore like Brock and his brother? Probably because as Hunter says, like, you know, that life of yours is dead. So my guess is Brock's never been in touch with his family since he was probably 20 years old. So mm-hmm. I missed that too. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't take a lot of notes on this episode because I was just into it and just watching it. But yeah, I can't believe I missed both of those things. I don't know. Uh, but essentially we're seeing Brock, Starting his training with Hunter, the very last thing that he does is he tosses Brock a jetpack and says, welcome to the OSI, as he opens up a wall in his office, <laughs> and suddenly we see that they're on like a floating uh, airship. Like I said, I said it was like uh, the Marvel airships like you see in the Avengers or in the Winter mm-hmm. Soldier. You see those like flying uh, aircraft carriers. I imagine that's what they're on. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to credits. We come back from credits and see that Brock is giving the boys their monthly headlines check. While he goes over details with Molotov Cocktees about how she's going to be having to basically babysit the family while he's out on assignment. And his mullet is officially back. It's back in full (laughs) swing, baby. Important to note, Brock's mullet is back, baby. And then, of course, uh, Molotov is very unimpressed with what Brock is uh, saying. She's like, I have to protect these people from what? Bed bugs and tummy aches? Come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, she's very demeaning of... uh, this work that he does yeah of very interesting she, she she thinks he's gone soft now because he was this like big impressive espionage like killing machine but now he really just hangs out at the venture compound and doesn't do much according to her anyway we, we know he's often fighting henchmen and defending mm-hmm. the family but she doesn't know that mm-hmm. which he even says the rusty has some dangerous enemies we get into trouble pretty much all the time and he's saying this, of course, as Rusty comes in like, Brock, which of these outfits is better? The so-and-so or the so-and-so? Oh, so this has got some iodine on it. Would you mind cleaning it before you go, Brock? To which Malzahar says, say the word and he's dead. We can be in Monaco by midnight. And I wish he would have, honestly. I yeah. wished he would have. Brock then pulls Rusty outside, explaining that Molotov is going to protect the family while he's on assignment. Uh, Rusty is gross. And it's like, have you ever had uh, relations with Molotov? And Brock, in a very frustrated way, says, no. And then Rusty, in a gross pig way, says he calls dibs. Hey, oh, my God. I My skin crawled whenever he said that. Ugh. Yeah. I don't ever recall like being that kind of guy who said dibs, but I do remember getting really angry with a friend of mine in high school when he started dating a girl that I really liked. I don't. Yeah, I don't have any dibs kind of situation per se, but in middle school, I was dating, quote unquote, a guy for all of two days when one of my, quote unquote, friends played like messenger between the two of us. And she basically broke us up so that she could date him. And again, quote unquote, date in middle school. This was like passing notes and making phone calls and maybe we were going to plan like a group outing on the weekend, but it literally didn't even last that long because, and I'll say her name, Chelsea. I'm not going to say her last name, but her name is Chelsea. I can't Chelsea, remember her last bitch. name. 
she broke us up so that she could date him instead of me. Mm, terrible. I also just remember um, at a certain point, he and I were like, I, I asked him something about like, you know, what kind of things they did. And he's like, well, we fooled around. And I was like, to what degree? He's like, oh, we've experimented with this and such. And I was like, you fucking bastard. I haven't even <laughs> kissed a goddamn girl. You're like experimenting with sex. You fuck. I was so angry. <laughs> I was also 16. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, emotions are high. For sure. So yeah, Rusty asks if uh, Molotov was just doing this as a favor to Brock. And he said that he is uh, paying her in American jeans because she's Russian and Russians, quote, go crazy for them. He says he hijacked a plane full of jeans the last time we were in, in Bolivia, which I thought was a, like, why were they in Bolivia? And how did he hijack a plane full of jeans? Full of jeans. <laughs> this is um, another thing. I don't know this to be true i don't know this reference like i don't know why this is a thing but there was also an episode of brooklyn 99 where oh shoot what's his name i can't remember he's an improvise he's an improviser actor and he was a russian guy and he was like obsessed with blue jeans mm. so that's the only reason that i understand this reference I, I can just i being a kid of the 80s it was a thing you understood that, like because of communism like everyone got the same thing like no one got a choice of like Oh. I want to buy Oshkosh Bakash. I want to buy Levi's. No, you will have the blue jeans. Everyone oh. has the same blue jeans. So it's like a thing of like, oh, I want that different thing that they've got in America. That was I how see. I interpreted it. That is probably it. I'm sure that it is. As Brock is saying this, he opens up the cargo bay of the X1 to get his go bag and out pops this monster, which Dean exclaims is called the Manaconda. Manaconda. I couldn't tell what he was saying. Yeah. Manaconda! It, it, it makes sense. It's a giant 20-foot snake man with <laughs> has gold armor on. I wrote, He kind of reminded me of a He-Man character that like was like a snake man, but I, I know it's not a reference to He-Man in any way. Brock is about to attack, but before he can, Molotov cocktees, jumps on the back of the Manaconda and cuts it in half with this awesome sword she carries on her back. And then uh, after she kills it, I wrote, there's a few little like baby anacondas that come out of the lower half mm -hmm. uh, and then dean uh, changes his mind and goes oh no woman anaconda so <laughs> okay see then i couldn't understand what he said either time yeah woman anaconda i think this is the first time i noticed him say woman anaconda i was like oh that's his little joke he's saying it's a woman because it has babies i could tell he changed what he said but i did i couldn't understand either either one yeah, and then of course uh, this limousine pulls up and takes Brock away, and Molotov explains to the family that she is here as a favor to Brock, and in order to save him from protecting these losers, she's going to toughen up the three of the family so they will no longer need a babysitter. Which I do believe is the exact plot of an episode of The Brady Bunch when Alice goes on vacation and she brings in, I want to say, her cousin to take over for her, and she is a very militant um regimented strict person who is like you people are out of shape i can't believe alice is letting you guys be but all soft and fluffy my guess is because it was probably a cheap show that it's not alice's like cousin who's a guest host it's alice's cousin who's like it looks exactly like alice so the actress can do something else on the show oh absolutely it was still <laughs> <laughs> the same actress. Uh, of course. Shoot, what's her name? I can't believe I, I forgot her you, name. You could break every bone in my body. I would not know her name. Oh, I absolutely know her name. And I loved The Brady Bunch. And I have I have multiple books about The Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was the same actress just playing her cousin. I know if I asked my sister Holly, she would say it like that. She'd be like, oh, that's so-and-so. But that's because she's older than me and probably B? watched the show live. She's got, a, she's got a B middle initial. Okay. I want to say B Cooper. I don't know. I'm not going to think about it anymore. She, she's D.B. Cooper? Oh, my God. She is the D.B. Cooper, and she's rich. And then she became an actress. <laughs> she, she hijacked a plane as a man, got sex, she, sex change, and became a woman. <laughs> she only did it because she thought that it was a plane full of Wrangler jeans. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we're now in the uh, limousine with Brock, and he's getting briefed on this mission he has to go on. And this is the first reference of what... Uh, Brock has been doing so far with the family. He's doing uh, an operation called Operation Rusty's Blanket. So his entire job is to be a security blanket for Rusty, literally, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I thought was great. Yes. And honestly, he's so very good at it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get to some notes in the book about how like they're trying to mold Brock into being more of this loving, caring person. They wanted to soften him up this season. He, they already from even just the few minutes of this episode that we've gotten through, he already, I feel it. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll get to that now right now. But yeah, basically they, they wanted him to be more than just like this guy here. Uh, this episode was all about deepening Brock's character. We also wanted to start to soften Brock. This is the beginning of him having a real relationship with the family as opposed to being the guy who doesn't say much and hates being there. Mm-hmm. So the writer says, He's nice to the boys because he sees that they have a cruddy father. He pities the boys and knows what it's like to grow up tough. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's becoming such a sweetheart and being this better father to the boys because they don't have a good father and he, he can recognize it. Which yeah. is great. I love Brock for that. And yeah, I think it's interesting that one of the ways that they are doing that and even just so far in this episode is that he is he takes on a lot of what would be quote unquote oh, the woman's work mm-hmm. and like that is a way to show love and that's weird for men like going back to a couple episodes ago when i like read that blog about this is like a meditation on manhood and stuff it's like yeah how fucking pathetic that taking care of your children is like not manly and how strange that brock being a good father figure is just like, yeah, he makes them food and stuff, you know, the way that parents are supposed to do. Well, and then I think we're going to see later on that that's not the upbringing that Rusty had, which is probably why he's a terrible father. His father was pretty shitty to him. He oh, had, sure. He had helper to, like, make his food and tuck Rusty in at night. He didn't do that. Yeah. It's probably the reason why Rusty kind of resents helper <laughs> to a degree. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Brock is going through this uh, field kit they've given him, and he's like, you know, what do you say? Gay, gay, doesn't work, useless. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, obviously calling inanimate objects gay is um, very strange, but I was also just like, what, what, okay, I'll put that aside. What could it be that you're, it's a gay, like, they were like binoculars or something. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was like night vision goggles or something. It's, it's, it's basically like this like impressive, you know, James Bond spy gear kit. Yeah. But he doesn't want anything to do with it. He, he says, he lifts up his knife and says, this is my field kit. I don't need anything else out of here. Which so far is true. Yeah. Uh, but Brock is told that his assignment is to kill a rogue agent who stole $40 million of OSI's money, a head full of secrets, and the enemy's top plastic surgeon and is now in hiding somewhere. The person, of course, is his mentor, Hunter Gathers. Um, and now uh, is when we get the first reference to one of my top five favorite movies, which is Apocalypse Now. Although I did miss the part where he also kidnapped the plastic surgeon. So that is an interesting note. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically what Martin Sheen's character's job is in Apocalypse Now is to go get oh, yeah, no, rogue agent. I didn't even think about it as Apocalypse Now, but you're totally right because it also has that reference to the doors at the end. I didn't even place it as being Oh yeah, the Apocalypse very now. end of this episode is pretty explicitly Apocalypse Now. Because I had totally forgotten about – I've seen Apocalypse Now maybe twice, and it's been probably over 20 years since I've seen it. Like I haven't seen it oh, since high school. Oh, interesting. It, yeah, it's one of my top five. I remember being excellent. I know nothing, nothing against that movie. I just haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, it's not easy viewing. So, yeah. and then uh, in this uh, thing, when Brock learns who he has to kill, he says to the guy that Hunter was the close, the second closest thing he ever had to a father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which the guy says, "Well, this is gonna be tough because now you need to kill him." <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Loved loved this from that line on. All of the rest of these bits for like the next five minutes are perfection. Yeah, uh, like this one where they both <laughs> the driver and the guy who's been briefing Brock just like in true James Bond fashion open their doors and step out of the moving just vehicle. Roll on out of the car. While Brock knows to now buckle in as the car goes off of a pier, lands in the ocean, and as it fills with water, he leaves it and this submarine comes and picks him up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. If you've been to the uh, Museum of Science and Industry here in Chicago, Deanna, and been inside the submarine they have there? 
I have not. I remember doing it as a kid in like a Boy Scout trip. We came down to Chicago to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. And yeah, like you get to like go inside this like decommissioned nuclear submarine and you get to walk all the way through it and like see how tiny it is, yet how big it is. It's really Yeah, I was going to cool. say, it's so it's like a real one. So you're like, actually, oh, yeah. you're tall. So I'm sure you had to like hunch down. I was a, I was a kid though, so I didn't have Oh, to. you were a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's funny, my dad was in the Navy and while he wasn't on a submarine, he was on an aircraft carrier. I noted though, that he said like when he went in, they like, you know, gave him this big injection full of stuff that like, you know, has all kinds of things to make sure you don't get sick. Mm-hmm. He said like, everyone gets that. And then I noticed some other guy around my dad's age who was also in the Navy and they both have really long torsos, but really short legs. And I was like, hmm. did the government like shoot you guys with something to like make sure your legs didn't grow anymore? So like, so you could be inside like submarines and shit. Wouldn't that be crazy if they did that? And like, okay, you're 18. You're not done growing. Now you're done growing. Now, yeah. now you will not be any taller. Very I'm sure it's not true, but it was a weird thing that my brain thought of when I was a kid. Yeah. When I noticed- um, my dad was also in the Navy, um, but he was only in the Navy for a very short time because as he tells it, I got on a boat and realized uh, I didn't want to be on a boat all the time. And uh, <laughs> so then I had to get out of the Navy. Yeah. Which my, I understand. I certainly wouldn't want to be on a submarine, dear Lord. Yeah, but no, my, my dad's parents both died when he was very young. I think he was like 18 when his mom died and his dad had died when mm. he was like 10. So Ugh. the Vietnam War had like started already. He didn't want to get drafted into the army and be sent to like die in the jungle. So he mm-hmm. volunteered for the Navy so he could be on an aircraft carrier and not be in any of the shit, which was mm-hmm. a smart idea. Yes, good idea. But uh, he does not talk about his time there. He's like, nope. Neither I, I, does my dad. I never saw anything, but I had friends that died. I don't want to talk about it. Yep. The most he would talk about is like things that he did while he was like in the Philippines. He was like, the Philippines are gorgeous. I, I love the Philippines. I had so much fun there, but like, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about anything else about the war. Also, just to be clear, my dad was not old enough to be in Vietnam. So like that was not a thing. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I wouldn't think so. with our age difference. Yeah. Your dad fought in Kuwait. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) My dad definitely didn't fight anywhere, that's for sure. So now we have another flashback of Brock in training where Hunter is training him to fight underwater where he's throwing grenades into the water to like get Brock and he's he's in this pool. Uh, He releases a hammerhead shark and two guys in scuba gear with spear guns to attack Brock simultaneously. And of course, uh, we then are seeing from Hunter's view the pool filling with blood and Brock suddenly leaping out of the pool, riding the back of this tiger shark as he's bashing in its head with one of the scuba tanks. <laughs> yes, another excellent montage bit. Yeah, I always love Brock doing excessive killing. It's fantastic. Yeah. And then we have a quick flash of uh, Molotov firing her Uzi at the family, teaching them how to serpentine <laughs> and uh, run away from gunfire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I just find funny. She's like, serpentine, if I was the enemy, you would be dead already. She and means I, business. And like, I think uh, Dean and Rusty run into each other and bonk each other in the head, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. And we see Brock in this submarine now. He's wearing a tuxedo and eating a lobster dinner. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's doing that James Bond thing. He's like, is this a 1957? Closer to 58. Oh, it's delicious. Like champagne thing. And then, of course, uh, they say, um, we need you to find this guy before he has plastic surgery and disappears. We don't know what he looks like. He's like, well, the place you're taking me to is three years away by a submarine. How am I going to get there in time? He's like, well, you're not going to go by a submarine. We're going to send you by that. And they point to what looks to be like a rocket or a, a torpedo. We find out later it is truly a rocket. Back at the compound again, we've got Molotov teaching the boys martial arts. Dean is in a regular white gi. But did you recognize Hank's gi, Deanna? I am not exactly sure, but I think that it was a reference to Cobra Kai from Karate Kid. Hell yeah, it was. Which is now a TV show with like three seasons already that I need to watch because I also heard that it's good. I've heard it's good too. And my girlfriend and I did watch the first probably like two or three episodes like in a binge one night. And we agreed this is really good, but we just, we will do that and then like not come back to something for a long time. So (laughs) we've only seen the, the first three, but so far it was good. The guy who plays Johnny Lawrence, I forget the actor's name, is excellent on the show. He's really good. Mm -hmm. And I will never not love Ralph Macchio. Ugh, what a dreamboat. He's a charmer, but he plays kind of an asshole on the show. Oh, does he? De- Danny Good. Zuko grew Make up to be complicated. an ass. Danny Zuko? Oh, that's, that's Greece. What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know what? I don't know what his name is in Karate Kid because I only think of him as Ralph Macchio. 
Yeah. Uh, Daniel San. I don't know. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. While the boys are sparring, uh, Hank, of course, is distracted by how sexy Molotov is. And Dean gets one good punch in and knocks Hank back. Uh, but before Hank can, uh, you know, get back up to retaliate, he just grabs a pencil and stabs Dean in the foot, which I love. <laughs> to which Molotov stops him and says, good improvisation, but we're not up to weapons training yet. Yeah, this is where it really, this is the episode that it begins. And this is the scene, I'm going to say, where it begins for Hank and Dean to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before they can start doing that, the uh, alarms are going off at the compound, uh, to which we see Molotov has to contact Brock on his risk communicator saying, Brock, we have a problem. He's like, what? I'm kind of busy. Well, you neglected to tell me that this compound was built on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> and we see all these Indian ghosts riding horses and running around the air, uh, whole compound going nuts, which is fantastic. Yeah, just completely unnecessary bit. Um, but I did like it. Poltergeist was not an Indian burial ground. It was just a cemetery. The Indian burial ground, that's a pet cemetery, right? I, again, can't do scary things, so I cannot tell you the answer to that. Okay. But yeah, I I do know for sure. I mean, it's, yeah, just like I know it as a common trope. Yeah. In in the movie Poltergeist, he's like, you just moved the headstones, but you left the bodies. Which Mm. is a great scene. Craig T. Nelson. Oh, and then all the skeletons come up out of the ground. I've seen clips of that. I have not yeah. seen the movie. I've seen clips of it, though. It's great. I would highly recommend. And it was one of those movies that was like released in 82 that's PG, even though it's terrifying. So uh, little yeah. kids all over the world saw Poltergeist <laughs> way too young. And then died of heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Brock says, you'll just call Dr. Orpheus. He'll take care of it. And then Brock's rocket explodes, and we see him falling from the sky. And he still wearing his tuxedo, pulls a string, and he doesn't have a parachute that opens up, but his tux turns into like a giant ball, which lands mm-hmm. in the water like with his head on the top. And then there's also like a small little motor <laughs> bun where his butt would be, and it just rides him towards this island. This is such a ridiculous thing, but it's so stupid that it's funny. Yeah, he's like, and his suit is like a giant inflatable beach ball like Missy Elliott in the rain <laughs> it just made me like think of like yeah just crazy james bond uh gadgets that happen uh yeah just the ridiculous of it having like a little motor on the butt yeah and then there's an actual motor yeah on the butt of it we go back to the uh compound and we see dr orpheus is collecting the ghosts of the native americans into a dream catcher and he explains he normally would have done this on a different day but he forgot that this was a leap year and of course the apaches they didn't have those <laughs> Yep, I liked that bit. I liked <laughs> all of these bits. <laughs> and then I like that Orpheus starts to flirt with Molotov cocktease, which then Hank immediately is like, gee, thanks for coming, Dutch Row. You need to go. <laughs> Just trying to shuffle him out of there. Like, don't talk to my girlfriend. <laughs> yep, I, I like this bit also. Because it's he's new to this love thing, I give him the benefit of the doubt. So I do, I do like this cute little puppy love thing that he's got going on even though as an adult that would be toxic but as a as a kid he doesn't know oh yeah no he's just a cute kid who's finally meeting a woman he finds sexually attractive mm-hmm. uh, then rusty comes and asks if she wants to join him for a nightcap because he's been squirreling away some cooking sherry oh god oh, barf <laughs> i've never had cooking sherry but i'm sure it's not good for drinking i have had cooking sherry i yeah, would not drink it. I mean, you can. It's is, is it very like, sweet? Uh yeah, oh yes, it's um it's yeah, but it's I mean it's just like low quality. Yeah, because it's for cooking. And I'm sure it's I'm sure, I'm sure it's low alcohol content too. No, I think sherry is like inherently very high. Oh, but I'm not exactly sure. And maybe like you just have like a little like thimbleful and you get drunk. It's yes, but still like gross like. Offer her yes, something it's better. Gross. Like, she's Russian, dude. Offer her some vodka. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, we again get another Doctor Who reference here. Or not Doctor Who. Uh, James Bond, Doctor No. When uh, Brock arrives at the island, he cuts open the tux and is just now oh, in yes. swim trunks. He walks out of the water. Very uh, James did you, Bond. Did you see the terror in my eyes when you said we had a Doctor Who reference? And I was like, I didn't fucking catch it. 
I did not see that. <laughs> I just though showed my girlfriend uh, the very first Dr. Eccleston, or sorry, Chris Eccleston Doctor Who episode, and she was like, "Okay, this looks pretty good." Because I, I love Chris Eccleston, my my friend who introduced me to the Venture Brothers, also introduced me to uh, Firefly and Doctor Who, like all within mm-hmm. the same year, because it all happened in the early two thousands. He was just like, "Oh, you like this show? You like this too? And like this too? And like this too?" So. Good. Yes. Good friends. Yeah. He was my first doctor. So I do love him very much. Mm-hmm. No, he, oh, I, I have met though, uh, Matt Smith. I mean, I love Matt Smith. I love David Tennant. I sort of stopped watching after Matt Smith, but, um, I just, yeah. I, I love them all. They all have a place in my heart. I, I speaking of both Firefly and, Doctor Who, I forgot that when I met Matt Smith, I also met Alan Tudyk on the same flight. <laughs> oh my God, I love Alan Tudyk. I love him too. He's and I glorious. Em- I embarrassed myself trying to like talk to him versus <laughs> instead of just saying like, like when I saw Matt Smith, I was like, oh, hey, big fan. And like just quietly like, walked past him in first class. Yeah. And then I, I don't even want to tell the story of like Alan Tudyk. I just embarrassed myself. I didn't do a good job of saying, <laughs> I truly admire your work. You're an excellent comedian and actor. It's very nice so to meet good. you. Instead, I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not even going to say it. it. Was I was so fucking stupid. So, were anyway. you, But were you like legitimately tongue-tied? Because like I've- No, as, it was just, oh, it, was, okay. it was a weird thing. Like, you just he, did it bad. <laughs> he came late and so he like got in the flight like last and he was like in the last row of first class. I was like in the third row of coach. So he's just like three rows in front of me. Like, That's Alan Tudyk. How do yeah. I say something to him? And so- I kept seeing him like rubbing his temple for like a good like half an hour. He's like doing this. And I was like, oh, maybe he's got like a headache. And I was like on my way like to the bathroom. And I was like, hey, sorry, I saw you rubbing your temple. Do you need like some tunnel? I've got some. Oh, uh, no, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay, sorry to bother you. That was it. And I was like, <laughs> God damn it, you fucking idiot. Now you're the creeper who's been staring at him rubbing his temple instead of just saying, I admire you. You're wonderful. Hi, <laughs> Vey. Yep. So, what are you going to do? Yeah, that was my... It was me fucking up meeting Alan Tudyk. I'm sorry, Mr. Tudyk. You are wonderful. You are so wonderful. And I can't wait to watch whatever this new show that he has. Oh, yeah. Where he's, out. he's the alien. That looks great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Brock gets out of the water. He meets uh, this island girl who's his contact. She tells him they have to infiltrate the area they're going in after dark. To which he says, well, how will we ever pass the time? To which she reveals a six-pack of beer and removes her top. <laughs> very very james bond very direct here's how we'll pass the time bling bling we see the boys getting ready for bed dean of course is beaten from the day he's got a bloody foot and he's got bruises on his face and then hank comes in the room all energetic and starts taking down the posters he has of athletic women that he has crushes on like danica patrick and, and mary a, lou retton yeah a very diverse collection of uh, women and I'm gonna go ahead and assume that that third poster up there was um, Anna Kornikova is my yeah, guess. That would be my <laughs> guess as well. Yeah, they made a note in the book that like because Hank admires Brock so much, he admires like strength in things. So that's why he likes hmm. masculine and or athletic women. Mm-hmm. And I, they say too that's why he kind of falls in love with Molotov is that she is a female Brock essentially. Yeah. And yeah, just Danica Patrick from what the early two thousands. Then yeah, Mary really Lou Retton, who was from the late eighties. <laughs> yeah, so I, don't how, how, I don't know how that, Hank found out about the Mary Lou. <laughs> that, yeah, that felt like one of those like that uh, courtroom episode where it's Brock was like, "Where do you hear these things? Like you're like an old man, like a ghost, the possessed by a ghost of an old man." It's like that ghost also possessed him to put up a Mary Lou Retton poster. And then, yeah, Anna Kornikova would have been, She'd been about the same time, time as yeah. uh, Danica Patrick, though. Yeah. But yeah, why Mary Lou? I, who knows? <laughs> she was cute. She was cute. And I remember she uh, had like a cameo in Scrooged. I just remembered that as well. She plays in Scrooged. Ta- <laughs> she, she plays Tiny Tim in the television thing that <gasps> Bill Murray's putting out where it's like, Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's his name? He's the comedian. He talks like this. He he's in the he sings Shippoopy. What's his name? Um, I surely don't know. Oh my god, why can't I think of Buddy Hackett? It's Buddy Hackett as Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, yes, and yes. Mary yes. Lou Retton as Tiny Tim. 
Oh my gosh. The next morning, after they've all got to bed, Hank is trying to make breakfast in bed for Molotov and brings it to her. And he's dressed like a <laughs> Chippendales dancer where you've got like the little bow tie with no collar and then like he is cuffs on his wrists. His motherfucking shot, baby. Oh man, he's he's going all in. But then again, how the fuck does he know what a Chippendales outfit is? These are all questions that I have. Yeah, no, that, that's I, I don't need one. the answers. <laughs> How does Hank know this? Where did he get just cuffs? Where do you yeah, find where just did cuffs? he just get those? He he ruined one of his dad's shirts. That's where. <laughs> Undoubtedly. And of course, she doesn't like to be woken up or snuck up on like Brock does, and of course, ch- chokes Hank with one hand, saying, mm-hmm. "You can't sneak up on me like that." <laughs> Which I think we have seen Brock do mm-hmm. specifically. Just at that moment, Bronk is calling wrist on his uh, calling Hank on his wrist communicator watch, and of course Molotov talks to Brock briefly. Well, Hank smells her hair. I wrote. <laughs> Rusty and Dean come in the room, and they say hi to Brock as well. We then get another flashback of uh, Hunter and Brock in the field in Paris, France, where uh, Hunter explains that their rules of killing people they cannot kill women or kids. That's the rules. Mm-hmm. Very much uh, like uh, Leon the Professional: no women, no Which... kids. I loved that movie. It's so good. Oh, and chilling. Uh, uh, I just, yeah, I just remember that scene where uh, Gary Oldman has cornered Natalie Portman in the bathroom. And mm-hmm. then like one of Gary Oldman's underlings come into saying like, Hey, you know, you're number two. He just got killed. What happened? Well, he was doing this deal in Chinatown when this guy came in and he says something like no women, no kids and shoots him. And then Gary Oldman has this reaction of like, Oh, he's just like, he's gotten chills. And he's scared. It's the mm-hmm. only time you see him scared in that movie. It's just, oh, that's so perfect. And just like, oh, he said, what? <laughs> yeah, Carrie Oldman's really good. They're all so, uh, it's such a good movie. It's creepy and weird, and but I like it. Yeah, no. And uh, so yes, uh, Brock then is going through like, well, what if she's this? What if she's that? Nope, you, you got to take her down non-lethally. She's a woman or a child. You can't do it, Brock, sorry. But we quickly see, uh, in this flashback before they leave, that uh, Molotov was uh, spotted on the rooftops and she had both of her eyes back then. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Back at the compound, the boys are swimming in the pool. Molotov has Hank swimming laps, but because Dean got his foot stabbed, he doesn't have to swim. Instead, he has to study knife combat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> study from a book, definitely. And then uh, we see that Molotov was carrying groceries when she gives the boys these assignments and then she's back down like where she you know was sleeping in the uh the in jonas venture's office but did you notice that she's packing a suitcase full of toilet paper i did and i instantly wondered what that was going to be and then they cut away from it and i completely forgot about it entirely so i just mean my guess is that this is also a thing of like Russians don't get luxury things. Like maybe she's getting like really soft toilet paper that she can't get in Russia and she's just Mm -hmm. taking as much of it with her as she can is my Mm -hmm. only guess as to what that joke meant. I mean, my knee jerk reaction was like, oh, you got to hoard toilet paper because it's, you can't (laughs) find it. And then it's like, Jesus Christ. No, that's not what it is. No, that was, that was uh, 14 (laughs) years too early. Oh, of course, then uh, Rusty is coming up behind her, and she does the same thing. She kicks the shit out of him, and he starts coughing up blood. Uh, then uh, Triana and her friend come over to use the pool. We're going to meet her friend in a couple of episodes and learn her name. Mm. But she's only in these two episodes. She's kind of a cool character, and like for years, fans were asking the writers, like, when are you going to bring back this character? And they're like, they finally give her an ending. They're like, she's not coming back. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but she's a cool character, and you'll truly meet her in a couple of episodes. Yeah, because as it turns out, girls, not their thing. That's not what this show's about. No, it's about masculinity. And, and how masculinity is fucked up. Yes. But of course, Dina says to Tirana, she's like, is it cool if we use the pool? No, it's not cool. Nothing is cool. She's trying to kill us. And then, yeah, this scene, it turns into a sort of little Oedipus Rex complex going on. Yeah, uh, so while Hank's swimming, he dives down in the pool, and there's these cool uh, windows that lead from the pool into Jonas's office where Molotov was uh, sleeping. If Hank had been sleeping, uh, you know, swimming last night, he might have seen something. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he sees the blood on Rusty's collar and thinks it's Molotov's lipstick, and that he and she have been like making out, which causes Hank to scream underwater. But of course, he's. <laughs> 
streamed out all of his breath and is now beginning to drown. Yes. <laughs> and then Rusty asks Molotov if male, uh, Russian mail order brides are of good quality because the Chinese one that he previously bought was dead in the crate when it arrived. I did not hear the thing about the Chinese one in the crate. I did hear the question of like, are they on the up and up or something like that? And I guess I was just so turned off that my ears stopped working. Yeah, he's, he's like, because <laughs> those, those Chinese ones are terrible. That thing was dead when she arrived here, is basically what oh he says. God, Jesus Christ almighty. Well, again, Rusty knows some weird things in the black market that he can get like an orphan child or a Chinese bride. Oh, God. Dean, of course, notices that Hank is drowned and swims down to the glass and knocks on it, showing Molotov that he is indeed drowning. We then cut to her giving Hank mouth to mouth, and he, he of course, starts French kissing her, like in the Sandlot. <laughs> Which is one of my other top five favorite movies. This one episode has two of my five top favorite movies, has some references to Apocalypse Now and The Sandlot. Yeah, what was her name? Wendy Peppercorn? Wendy Peppercorn, indeed. Mm, yeah, everyone had a crush on her in that movie. She's so adorable. Oh, for sure. I love that she says, ugh, milk breath, because Hank apparently drank milk <laughs> earlier in the day. Uh, while she's uh, gargling and rinsing, uh, Dean <laughs> says, hey, Hank, I think the Apaches are back because you've got a teepee in your trunks. Because he's got a great big boner. And then this Hank bit. starts running around the pool, holding his erection down, screaming, My pants are haunted! My pants are haunted! Very good bit. Because, of course, <laughs> I'm sure in the educational like beds that they have, Rusty's uh-huh. father never had anything in there about sexual education, so they don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I, I do love, I love that bit for that exact reason. Poor it's boys. not funny that children don't understand how their bodies work, um, except that this, this is funny. This is funny because it's Hank and Dean. And, I mean, and, and boners are funny. They're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, this morning I was getting out of bed. I sleep in the nude and I was a little bit erect. And my girlfriend's like, penis? What's going on there? I'm like, I don't know. They do this from time to time. They're so I, dumb. I, I need to pee maybe. I don't know. It's just there. <laughs> yep. It's just dumb. And especially um, like the phrase pitching a tent is especially funny to me. Oh yeah. No, because it <laughs> it's what it looks like. Yep. <laughs> we now see Brock is uh, ready to leave the place where he's been with uh, this island woman. But he turns her over to like wake her up and she appears to be dead with a, a note written on her and what looks to be blood saying, no more secrets, signed H. Uh, but of course, Bronk, uh, we hear in his head, you know, no women, no children, echoed as Hunter had said years ago. And he, he assumes now that uh, Hunter has turned a corner and is, able to, is willing to kill women. But of course, mm-hmm. after he leaves, she wakes up and is totally fine. So yeah. he's, <laughs> he's a little misguided as to what's going on. Yeah. We're once again back at the compound, and Molotov has obviously just taken a shower and is in her bathrobe. And as she's heading back to her room, she stops by Brock's room and starts kind of sitting on his bed and looking through his things. And she sees on this on his bedside is her is her other eyeball. Ugh. <laughs> to which she says, "I can't believe you kept it." <laughs> Gross. Um, we are seeing now another flashback where it's the two of them. Uh, still in Paris, and there are these young agents there, all over each other, very obviously about to have sex. And uh, she then uh, has these stiletto heel boots that have needles, I guess, that shoot out of the bottom mm-hmm. of the heel. And she uses them to dig into his back as her legs are wrapped <laughs> around him, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Then she pins his chest to the bed using two like ninja size. Mm-hmm. And then she does this awesome thing where she like does a backflip, lights a match, and throws it into like a pile of fuel, setting the room on fire <laughs> all in one motion. To which Brock is like, this is incredible. You're incredible. Yes, and I just, yep, I love Brock for loving that. Yeah, that even even though he's just been mauled and is about to be set on fire, he appreciates. Uh, what is that phrase that I should not appropriate? Uh, game recognize game. I hey, think is what's happening there. I think that's yeah. I wrote he's <laughs> he's so in love and so impressed all at the same time. Yes. Back at the compound, while we see Molotov enjoying Brock's things, we see Hank enjoying Molotov's things as he's smelling her boots. <laughs> uh, but of course, he snuggles one a little too close, and as the needles we saw pop out in the flashback, one pops out now and hits him in the neck. Mm-hmm. And of course, the 
Needless covered in some kind of psychotropic chemical that's causing him to hallucinate. And this is when it starts getting a, a little bit of Doors music kind of peeking in. It's not mm-hmm. the end by the Doors, but it sounds just like the it end sounds by the Doors. almost identical, yeah. Uh, he sees a vision of Molotov speaking to him. And I made a note, this is cool thing where like we, we've seen her smoking a bunch, but in the fantasy, as she speaks, smoke is coming out of her mouth, but she's never mm-hmm. inhaling a cigarette, which is this kind of like weird image. I remember like, that's really cool for like a dream sequence. Like someone yeah. who's smoking when they speak, but you never see them dragging a cigarette. Like that's a really cool image, I thought. As she uh, says something like, you know, oh, your father will never let us be together. She opens up her top <laughs> and rather than her boobs, what does she see, Deanna? Hank's head is her boobs. She's got two of Hank's head on her chest. Yeah. And they're both saying, you should kill Pop. You totally should kill Pop. Yeah. That was also a good bit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the two boobs like meld into one and it's just Hank now alone. He puts his head down. He says, it's the only way. And he grabs a machete off of the wall in Jonas's study and begins walking down the hallway. And then uh, as he's walking, uh, we see Brock walking with his knife uh, in a very similar way as he's entering this temple trying to find his, his assignment. Mm-hmm. Hank walks into the lab and says, Father, I want to kill you. <laughs> I, I, I love the doors. And so this is yeah, just verbatim for that song. But Verbatim, the doors, yeah. Of course, uh, Rusty says, that's nice, Hank. Play pirate somewhere else. Your father's busy. <laughs> and as Hank raises his machete to strike his father, we also see Brock raising his knife to kill his father figure. As he has found the unconscious, Hunter gathers uh, on an operating table covered in a sheet. Molotov runs in to stop Hank. The surgeon also runs in the room to stop Brock. And then uh, Hank says, to Molotov, I want to come on, baby! <laughs> Uh, it's so good doing his uh, so doing his best Jim Morrison impression and grabbing at his crotch as he falls mm-hmm. to his knees. <laughs> uh, we then see in shadow only uh, Hank hitting Rusty over and over with the machete while the music begins to uh, reach its escalation point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you a fan of the Doors, Deanna? I'm sure this is all. I like- do. I I I used to be obsessed with the Doors in like middle school and high school. When I was uh, painting in my senior thesis in college, I had a little portable record player and I gotten a bunch of records from my sister and my mother and the two of them together had like five different Doors albums so I played the Doors a lot while I was painting yeah yeah I did like them that is another wow toxic character and masculinity but not even just basket just all kinds of weird shit going on with Jim Morrison and his whole deal yeah I, I did visit his gravestone when I was in Paris I, I was one of oh, those yeah? tourists who did that but, I mean, I'm sure I would too. But they had like a five foot like barrier built around it. And at that point where yeah. like you, you couldn't go stand next to it or you couldn't uh, graffiti it anymore because it had been graffitied so much. So that's, they just mm-hmm. didn't let people near it anymore. But it was cool. I can say I saw Jim Morrison's grave. So that's, that's yep. pretty awesome. Now the surgeon, of course, uh, says, well, Brock here, Hunter had this letter he wanted to give to you. He reads it to him explaining why he's left the OSI. He's kind of done with the lying and the cheating and, it's why he stole this money. He wants to just give it all up and get away. And he says, I know you'll understand. Brock says he doesn't care about his reasons. He has an assignment. And he pulls back the sheet to kill Colonel Gathers. What's happened, Deanna? Why can't he kill Colonel Gathers? Well, it appears that uh, Colonel Gathers has had um, a sex... I don't remember what the actual words are. Uh, uh, I put a gender a reassignment surgery. Yeah, affirmation surgery. Yeah, so there's some big old titties. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, and so far he's yeah just lifted up to the the see that his chest mm-hmm. has breasts. Now he says, "What'd you do? I only did what she told me to do. That man was like a father to me. Well, now this woman can be a mother to you." And then mm-hmm. the, we get the fantastic Chinatown reference: "Your mother, your father, <laughs> father." <laughs> Uh, your mother and your father. Definitely not one of my favorite movies. No, but a, a fun, a good reference. A very good reference. And, and very the, good reference. Yeah, the, the fact that it's your mother and your father, he's, he's both, <laughs> just killed me. I love that. Yeah. And then once again, we hear uh, Hunter's voice echo in Brock's head. No women, no children. To which Brock, in frustration, stabs his knife into the table next to Hunter, leaving her alive, and he walks away. 
But he quickly comes back just to confirm that she is indeed a woman and has to look at the crotch and make sure there's not a dick there anymore. And he's like, yep, okay. It's all gone. I have to go. <laughs> yeah, which for all the reasons that I am growing to love Brock, this insistence on transphobia throughout this show is really, I'm, I'm just going to keep chalking it up to more meditations on masculinity. But gosh, there's so much reference to it. Not all the characters are transphobic per se, but it comes up so often. Well, and again, this is 15 years ago where like it just wasn't discussed as much. Right. It wasn't discussed as much, but also the fact that they bring it up in any episodes is what I'm more like, wow, they're talking about trans people a, like a lot for especially back then. Yeah. Not necessarily that they're doing it like a poor job of it, but just that they are referencing it at all is what i'm more like mind boggled over they're ahead of their time baby they're ahead of their time indeed i also wondered if this was maybe that last bit where he looked under the blanket was maybe a little homage to uh ace ventura pet detective (laughs) horribly transphobic stupid movie yeah no that one doesn't hold up as much (laughs) especially those last five minutes I still like Ace Ventura. Like, I'll still watch I it. I loved it but, when I was a kid. I didn't even understand that part. But yeah, now looking back, it's like, oh God, yeah, just cut off those last five minutes. And uh... it was only because someone had explained to me what the deal with the crying game was. Because, of course, I never saw the crying game, but like, it was. Oh, like, yeah, I don't know what that is either. It was like all these jokes during like Oscar season, like that year. And so I was like, what is, what's the deal with this movie, The Crying Game? And what am I, either my, one of my siblings or my parents just simply put, oh, this guy falls in love with a woman and it turns out she's a man. And that, mm. and that's the movie. And I was like, Oh, okay. And so then when the crying game references came up in uh, Ace Ventura, I was like, Oh, because she's a man. I get it. I see. I am a full grown adult and I still didn't know that. He but again, found Captain Winky. It's not a, you know, it's not a movie I need to get. I don't need to revisit <laughs> Ace Ventura pet detective in 2021. I don't believe Probably not. Uh, so we have gone to credits. We're now back from credits, and we see Molotov Cocktees is saying goodbye to Brock, offering him one last chance to leave his family and join her as a high-paid mercenary. He says, that all sounds nice, but go Team Venture. Which go I was Team like, Venture. Yeah, Brock, giving us a go Team Venture. Yep. Uh, Brock then asks uh, Rusty where Hank is. He says, where's Hank? He says, oh, he's grounded for beating me up with a paper mache sword, peeing his pants and passing out. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see Hank in his room looking forlornly out the window as Molotov drives away as Hank now has lost his first love. Mm -hmm. It's a very sweet little thing, but of course it's also... It is sweet. Hank quoting the doors. I just love that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Um, that's the ghost of an old man that he's possessed by Jim Morrison's possessing. Jim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let dames get in the way. There's this one uh, interview. I can't remember where it was or how long ago it was with Jackson public. And he talks about like Hank having those little lines that he'll say out of nowhere. Like he wouldn't know the reference. Why would he know that? And there was one line he's always wanted to give Hank to say, but he's never put it in the show. And he delivered it on this interview and like ever since i always play it in my head because it's such a great line he's like i always wanted to hear hank say stop wasting all my time time <laughs> <laughs> he should have said that he should have fitted in somehow i already covered the notes from the book as we discussed you know the changes they wanted to make in brock do you have any kind of other questions to discuss with this episode deanna um i just i really appreciated this episode how the a and b plot were really woven together i know that that is not something that was i mean in so many sitcoms uh you know like growing up the a plot and the b plot and sometimes even a c plot were literally just totally separate strands Mm -hmm. and only occasionally did they sort of come together to be like a great super plot to a very good episode. But this felt like that was so much heads and tails better than so many other episodes. And I think it was because 
the B plot was a direct result of the A plot and they were so sort of tightly knit. No, I just uh, just really enjoyed that. Is that something that I can look forward to in the future? I would say most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Things, Excellent. Things can come together quite a bit, I would say, for sure. Yeah, because it, it, it did feel like, especially in the first season, it was like a lot of, we just had three ideas and mm-hmm. they weren't connected. And that's when I got lost a lot. So these help me keep track of all of the stories when they're all connected. Well, and like we, uh, we've gone over uh, at this point, the writers have really now discovered what the show is about and yeah. how they need to run it. And so, yeah, like the episodes here from out from here on out, just get better and better. In my opinion, this next week's episode as well is one of the best episodes in my opinion of the whole series, because it is just this wonderful thing that they do. And I don't want to speak, Spoil it for you before we get to it, uh, but you'll you'll know know it just from the title because it's it, the title gives it away as far as like what's brilliant about it. Okay. Uh, but so we'll. Yeah. <laughs> That's it for this week. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Go Team Venture Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts for new episodes each Tuesday. And tune in for next week's episode. Escape to the House of Mummies, part two. All right, well, we'll see you next week, listeners. And as always, go Team Venture! Venture!